This morning we're going to be in Psalm 78, and if you brought your Bible, I'll give you a chance to turn there. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along in a Bible, if you look in the, the seat bottom in front of you, there's a, a, there's a Bible there on the rack, and uh, that's free for you to take home. That's our gift uh, from Solid Rock to you. You can have that Bible for your own. Uh, in Psalm 78, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 7 uh, while you're turning there. 17 and a half years ago, my life changed forever. Uh, my wife was pregnant for our, with our first child. She was with her mom, and they were Christmas shopping, and uh, they get into a fender bender, and it starts to throw her into labor. And I'm 45 minutes away in, in a car that we were scared to wash because dirt was the only thing holding it together. Uh, so I, I, I get there just in time. They're starting to wheel her back to operate on her. Uh, they put the booties on me, the, the, little, the little cat, the, the reverse gown. I get washed up. And uh, I made one of the biggest mistakes of my life. My, my wife said, uh, can you see anything? Can you tell what they're doing? Do you see the baby yet? Do you see her? Do you see her? I don't see anything. I don't see anything. And they, she said, well, look over the curtain. Don't look over the curtain. <laughs> I, I, I saw things that... I can't describe, and, and it looked something like out of the movie Aliens. It was just, it was just, it turned me white as a sheet. I started to feel like I was going to throw up. My knees got really weak, and she said, do you see anything? Does everything look good? Like, everything looks great. Everything looks great. So we finally get the baby, and uh, I've, I've teased her to this day that the doctors don't count. I was the first one to hold her, and uh, she gets irritated every time she sees that. She rolls her eyes, but she smiles at the same time, and I'm holding this precious life in my arms, and I feel this joy that I had never felt before in my entire life. And at the same time, I felt this heavy weight that I'd also never felt in my entire life. And I remember feeling this joy and this heavy responsibility that this child's future was placed in our hands we were going to train her up. We were going to teach her right from wrong. We were going to show her how to do good in school. We were going to tell her how to avoid boys and that she couldn't date until she had a black belt in karate and she couldn't start karate until she was 30, those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, it just got very, very real for me. And I felt like, how in the world are we going to get this done? And today, we're going to be looking at shepherding a child's heart and his parents we're supposed to be good stewards of our kids. Basically, kids, are, are, they belong to God, and, and they're a gift from God, and we're, we're responsible for training them up in the ways that would be pleasing to him. But even though God gives us this, this heavy responsibility, what's so great about God is he never gives you a responsibility without giving you the tools and the instructions to do it and be successful. And that's what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at how we can, as parents, partner with the church and be successful in shepherding and guiding our kids. So let's look at Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7. We're going to read that together. Uh, verse 5 reads, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and, raise to, and arise to tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. <coughs> Excuse me. So this job of discipling is given to parents, and parents are the key component in God's plan for perpetuating the faith from generation to generation. 
Now, when we use this word discipling or discipleship, don't let it be this word that makes you feel scared and intimidated because it's just a church term. This means we're training and instructing and teaching our kids to follow and love Christ and be obedient to him. So when we say we're discipling our kids, we're just teaching them in the ways of God. It's, it's just that simple. Uh, so all the things that we're to do for our kids as moms and dads, this is the one that's the biggest responsibility that's been placed by God. He wants you to teach your kids to follow and love him so they can teach their kids and they can teach their kids and then faith is perpetuated uh, throughout all generations, okay? So because of the, the faith that they're going to have in Christ in the future or their lack of faith, that, that walk with God, what they believe about God, their faith in God is going to affect every decision that they make for the better or for the worst. And the one that carries the most weight with that is that eternal decision. Like, where are you going to go when, when you don't live on this world anymore? When, when God calls you home, where will you be? And all that comes through having that faith in Christ. Look at the reason that parents are commanded to disciple their kids. Uh, it's, it's to steer them in the direction of God. If you look at verses 6 and 7, it says that the next generation might know them, that these commands of God, the, next, uh, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So the text tells us three things. It tells us that we should share the, the truths about God so they can set their hope in God. Thank you. <clears throat> I've been struggling with something for about a month, so I sound like I, I don't smoke, I promise. Uh, <clears throat> So the text says that we should tell them about God so they can have their hope in God. We can't expect them to have hope in something that they haven't heard about. So we have this responsibility to tell them about God. Then it tells us uh, that we should teach them to remember the things that God has done, not just the things that God has done in his word, but the things he's done in our life, in their life, and how God is actively working in our lives to mold us and shape us into the image of his son, Jesus. And then the last one it says is that we should teach them about God so they will keep his commands, that they can learn to be obedient to God. So when God convicts them or something, God presses on their heart to do something, they can hear, know, obey, and follow. So, so the purpose is to establish hope, help them to remember about God, and be obedient to God for future generations. And, and I don't know if I'm the only one feeling this right now, but that, that feels like a really heavy weight on my shoulders to feel like I'm the one that's supposed to teach. And I've got five kids. And the reason we have five is because we don't want six <laughs> to teach all my kids about God. That carries a lot of weight. And some of you may be thinking, oh, I don't feel the weight of that at all. That's an easy mission field because they're under my roof. They're little. They have to obey me or I will punish them. Okay. But what makes it really difficult is this. You can meet someone on the street and you can present the best part of yourself. And that's what they see. You get to see, you get to show them a representation of yourself that you want them to see, the good stuff, okay? When you live with someone, you see the good and the bad. You see their sin struggles. You see their little hearts being pulled with sin and being pulled by God and the war going on in their flesh like Romans 7 talks about and all that's going on inside of you too. So the people you know the best are the hardest ones to minister to, and that's the hardest people to listen to are the people you know the most. 
How many of you have gotten frustrated when you tell your kids something a billion times and then somebody else tells them the same thing and they go, yes, sir, and they start doing it? Like, what have I been doing? Because they see the sin struggle and they had the sin struggle themselves. And because of this sin struggle and the sin struggles of our kids, we can be really tempted to be parenting in the flesh instead of parenting in the ways of God. So I wanted to share some of those with you that we, we could be tempted to do. Uh, number one, we could be parenting from embarrassment. Uh, one of our kids um, was born with a hole in the roof of her mouth, uh, a cleft palate, and we had to have surgery to close that in. And before we had the surgery to close that in, uh, it affected her hearing. So she would do this high-pitched squeal as a little kid, uh, the little toddler trying to find their voice and squealing. And it was amplified for her. Number one, her, her voice is very high-pitched. And two, she couldn't hear, so she didn't think she was being as loud as she was. Like if you're wearing headphones and you're yelling at people because you don't know how loud you are. We would go into restaurants and she would do that high-pitched squeal and your ears would ring and it would pierce and you would just feel it just go down your spine. And sometimes she would do it so much and so bad that we would order food and sit down and someone would get their food right beside us. And as soon as their food come out, they were asking the waitress to give them to-go boxes so they could leave and get out of there. And it was really a temptation for me to parent out of embarrassment and be not so nice to my child who didn't understand because I was embarrassed that my child was making a scene. So we gotta make sure that we're not parenting our kids out of the flesh because we're embarrassed. And we could parent out of frustration. Parenting out of frustration. Get tired of dealing with the same stuff all the time or feeling like uh, you're, you're giving them these nuggets of wisdom from God and it just didn't seem like it's going anywhere. I remember I was dealing with uh, one of my sons dealing with a heart issue and I was pouring into him. I was bringing the gospel into it. I was quoting scripture. Uh, it was one of those things that if they would have put it in a movie, I felt they would have stood up and just. <laughs> and as soon as I get done, he says, hey, dad. I think I want to go skydiving. But I want to go when I'm your age. That way if the shoot fails, I've lived a full life. Like, did you not just hear what I said? He didn't get it at all. And I'm thinking I just wasted 10 minutes of my time on this. You can parent out of frustration. You know, we, we get tired. We get stressed. We can get tired of dealing with the same thing all the time. Or we could even be stressed about some other part of life. It could be that your kid's not doing anything wrong, but you're stressed because maybe you, you and your wife fought. You, you and your wife fight? You, you and your husband fight? No. I mean, we, we, are, we don't fight. We have intense moments of fellowship, right? Yeah. So it could be one of those things that just causes us to parent out of the flesh. Uh, there was a, sil child, a, sil a child psychologist that said for things, to, a principle to really sink into the hearts and minds of your kids, sometimes you have to tell them at least 300 times. And I'm thinking, I've got, I've, I've got this kid, that every time they go to take a shower, I say, okay, pick up your clothes and put them in the dirty clothes hamper. Put it in the, put it in the laundry basket. Don't leave them strode out. You know, the, the floor is not our laundry basket. And every day I'm saying that, and every day I come into the bathroom and I see clothes. Clothes again. And I'm, I'm telling my wife, we gotta be at least at 295 with this. They've gotta be close to this. They, they gotta get it soon. If not, the hair's not gonna turn gray, it's gonna turn loose, you know? We can parent out of that frustration if we're not careful. Parenting out of exhaustion. 
We got too much on the calendar. We're doing too much. We're being too many places. We're putting too much on ourselves. And, and it may not be that we're putting too many things on ourselves, but we feel the weight of those responsibilities a little too much instead of relying on God to do that through us. And that can be to where we just start doing things in a place where we're just tired. I don't have time to deal with you right now. I don't have time to deal with your issues. I don't have time to deal with your sin. I don't have time to instruct you properly. I don't have time to do these simple things every day because I'm just tired. And then the last one I have is, is helicopter parenting. That's when you hover over your kids to the point where you're not just keeping them from danger. You're keeping them from experiencing life. No, 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 don't go here. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. You keep close. You keep close. You stay here. You stay here. You don't do this. You don't do that. And they get to get to the point that if you're not careful, you can start to take over as the Holy Spirit of your child. And you don't allow them to make mistakes and have life experiences that God could use to mold and shape them into the person that God wants them to be. You see, the truth is, as a parent, we can't successfully follow this command to steer our kids towards Christ without Christ working through us to get it done. Verse five, the first portion of that says, he, meaning God, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. This is God's plan. This isn't some idea that some hip kids minister thought of. This is God saying, this is my plan. Parents, raise your kids to follow me. God is the one who established the plan for parents to lead their kids in Christ. And if we're gonna fulfill this commandment, we can't just roll up our sleeves and say, God, watch me impress you, because we will fail miserably. I, you can't see anyone in the Bible that's successfully doing things for God, that says, God, you wait here and watch me fulfill what you want me to do by myself. No, it's through Christ working in us that we get these things done. And we've already talked about our own struggles, so we can't just roll up our sleeves and do that by ourselves. We have so much sin that we're wrestling with, we need to rely on God to do that. So if he commands us to do something, I told you earlier, God gives us the tools to do that. And one of the best tools that God's done that uh, uses is the church. God uses the church to partner with the home to minister to these kids. If you look in Ephesians 4, verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11, we're gonna see the church is a place where saints are equipped. See, God has supplied the church leadership that follows him so we can be equipped and so we can grow. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building of the body of Christ. See, when the Bible talks about saints, it's not talking about some uh, superhuman Christian. These are just believers. This is moms and dads. These are sons and daughters. These are families. And these families come together, <coughs> excuse me, these families come together as part of the body of Christ so they can grow and be equipped. And God says the leadership of the church has been placed here for the purpose of equipping these families to grow in Christ. Now, one of the things that we did when we were looking for a church when we moved to this area is I, I sat down with Pastor Jason. I took him to lunch. And I started asking him all these questions. What are we doing? You know, what, what are your theological stances on this? Things like, you know, did Adam have a belly button or not? And he answered it right. I'm not going to tell you what the answer is. You'll have to take him to lunch to find out. Um, 
But I asked him all these questions, and one of the things that really impressed me about the church is that it was intentional about growing people in Christ. And you've heard that, that threefold plan that we gather and worship. We grow together in community, and we live the mission in our everyday lives. So we're not just giving you information. We're giving you opportunities to serve and grow through service. So here at Solid Rock, we're really blessed with pastors and elders and people on the leadership team who are very intentional in thinking about practical ways to help us grow. So you look at verses 15 and 16, and you're going to see that a lot of our growth and development happens when we come together as the body. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So we're supposed to grow every way in Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the purpose of the partnership of the church and the family is so we can grow in Christ, the scripture says, in every way. Not just the leadership giving you the information and the tools and the resources, but us working together one another. Not just leadership to congregation, but congregation working among itself. That's when we lean on each other in community groups and we live life together and we're, we're praying for one another and we're listening to one another's burdens and we're sharing in one another's joys and we're doing that together so we can be more Christ-like and continue to grow. Now, if you're on an airplane, you've heard the little spiel about, you know, this is how you buckle your seatbelt, your seat can be a flotation device. And one of the things they always talk about is the oxygen mask, right? And what do they tell you to do? They tell you to get your kid's oxygen mask and put that on first? No, they say, put your own oxygen mask on first, take care of yourself so you can be better equipped to take care of other people. So you put on your own oxygen mask first so you don't pass out, and then you can put it on your kid or relative or whoever else may need assistance in that, okay? So part of our putting on, on our oxygen mask first is making sure that we are having a healthy, vibrant, active walk with Christ. If you want to be a good parent that's parenting their kids well in Christ, you've got to have a healthy relationship with God. You go back to the earliest command, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, where God is telling the parents, I want you to teach your kids. Actually, in the Hebrew, he says, sharpen my kids with my word, is literally what it says in the Hebrew. Sharpen my kids with my, sharpen your kids with my word. But before he starts telling them, I command you to do this for your kids, and then giving them practical ways to do that on a daily basis, he says, first, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So before he says, before you take care of your kids, you take care of you. You put on your own oxygen mask. You do things that can make sure that you have a healthy, active relationship with Jesus Christ. And then your kids will see that and not just listen to the words of your mouth, but the actions of your heart. Okay? We can't teach our kids what we don't know. And if you want to train kids for a life in Christ, the best thing you can do is have a dedicated, active walk with God that they can see, that can be demonstrated and walked out. So let your kids see that walk from God. 
Uh, I heard a friend telling me one time, and this was just a practical everyday showing Christ in his heart. He and his son had gone through a drive-through, and the cashier gave him $10 too much and change back. And he told his, kid, his son, you know, we're going to pull over even though we don't have time. We're going to pull over, we're going to go in, we're going to give this money back for two reasons. Number one, we, we're not going to steal. This money doesn't belong to us. And number two, we were going to treat others the way we want to be treated. That's a command of Christ. So if I was that cashier and I'd, I'd made a mistake counting the money, I would want to be in trouble for that. I would want someone to be honest and bring the money back in. So he and his son walked back in and gave them the money. And that's just a practical, everyday way to teach your kids about the ways of Christ. See, what's done here with leadership Pastor Jason does it every week. He, break up, he breaks open the Bible. He studies the text. He's true to the text. He gets the commentaries out. He digs. He does research. He does things that will uh, help bring out the explanation of the text better. And he does all that. And it's a lot like marinating a steak. You cook a good, I heard someone go, mm. It takes time. You, you marinate it. You soak it. You, you, you make sure that everything's properly taken care of it. You, you get the grill going. You get the temperature just right. And you keep it on there just the right amount of time. And we're not going to go into deep theological debate on which way is the best way to cook a steak. But it takes time and effort. And that what, that's what happens with leadership when we come together and worship every, every Sunday. There's a lot of work in that. What parents do, parents do something every day that's more like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You don't have time to prepare six hours to give your kids a 30-minute message every day, but you can do those practical things every day consistently that pours the love of Christ over them. See, this partnership of the church and the home makes both of us stronger together. It makes the family stronger, and it makes the church stronger but there's some dangers to watch out for. And the, the number one danger to watch out for is outsourcing. That means just dropping off your kids at church and hoping the church will just teach them everything about God and not being engaged yourself. There should be a partnership there. Scripturally, there should be a partnership there. Uh, there was a sociology study from coast to coast of every Christian denomination, Jewish synagogues, and uh, Muslim mosques. And they come up with, with uh, a few results. Number one, the kids who are dropped off are 70% less likely to go to church as, the, as, a, as an adult. Just let that sink in for a minute. If you think, okay, just dropping them off at church, I'm doing my duty, that's, that's just not enough. But the parents who are actively engaged with their kids, they retain a relationship with Christ and they stay in church. They're more likely to stay in church, drastically more likely to stay in church. Okay, because what's being told to them in a subtle way is when you drop off your kids and you go off as the adult is that church is just a phase that you grow out of. It's not part of an active, vibrant relationship in Christ where you're fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters in Christ and growing together toward him. That's not what they see. That unspoken message is church is a phase. You'll grow up, you'll get over it. And we have limited access. If, if, if I, as a kid's pastor, see your kids and, and they're here for one of the worship services and they go to the kid's building and they come to Awana's, say, let's be generous, maybe an hour and a half for each one. That's three hours a week that I get to influence your kids. And I'm not influencing your kid one-on-one -on -one, and neither are the volunteers who are teaching and leading them. <coughs> we have other kids that we're ministering to. So in a room, there may be 15, 20, 25 kids, and we've got limited time, limited access to teach them the things of God. And the world is working on them 24-7. That's why parents need to be there every day to do those little consistent things 
to pour the love of Christ over them. Another thing they found in this study on this coast-to-coast survey with major religions is kids are leaving church and here are the big three things that they walk away with when it comes to church. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be a good person. And God is not involved in my everyday life. And all three of those contradict scripture. God just doesn't, God's more concerned about bigger things than your personal happiness. He's concerned for your soul. He wants a relationship with you, a redeeming relationship through his son Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And that goes way beyond just personal happiness that's dependent on the experiences around you. He wants you to have this joy unspeakable and full of glory that the Bible talks about. And God just didn't want you to be a good person. The Bible says there is no good person. Jesus himself said that there's no person that's good, only God is good. Uh, Romans talks about that we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's no good person. That would be God expecting us to be something we can't. The only thing that makes us good is Christ redeeming and saving us. And then the third one, when it says that God just, God's not active in your daily life, the Bible's full of stories of people where God was active in the life of believers, guiding them through what he called them to do. So they're walking away from the church with these ideas that are so contrary to what God wants them to get. And the only thing that's solving that is the church teaching the truth and the parents coming alongside it and them working together to pour into these children. We both can be stronger together as we grow in Christ together. Strong families come into the church and it makes the whole body a stronger body. And as that body is stronger, it can pour into the families and they can be stronger as well. And it goes back and forth till we just get better and better and better and more and more and more like Christ as the body as a whole and individual families and individual people. You know, Psalm uh, 27, 17, Proverbs 27, 17 says is, as uh, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens one another. And that's true with the one-on-one relationships we can have within the body, that we can sharpen one another to, so we can both be there for each other to work and be more Christ-like and then be more effective parents and ministers in the mission fields of our home. Last night, my, my wife and I were looking at this app called Parent Q. And I've, I've just been introduced to it, and I hope I don't butcher a description of it, but it, it, it's, a parent, it's an app for parents where you can plug in the age of your child, and it gives you this uh, calculation of how many weeks old your child is, how many weeks until they graduate, and how much time you have left to influence them until techni- technically they're 18 and they're not considered a child anymore, they're considered an adult, and you can, they'll be out in the world responsible for their own actions. And it's got devotions and scriptures and uh, little ideas of things that you can do to just pour into your kids in so many different ways. But the one that just made a a knot in my chest is I look at our oldest daughter and seeing how many weeks we have with her when she's going to turn 18 in December. And we're running out of time. And then my mind started to race back and think, have we done enough? Have we taught her everything? There's there's so much more I want to teach her. And then the time is just tick tock, tick tock, ticking away. And then I felt that weight, just like I did when I was holding her in my arms 17 and a half years ago, thinking, how am I going to do this? And the only way I'm going to be able to do this is say, God, I can't. You're going to have to do it through me. 
And I want to lean on other people in the body of Christ to help us along the way. People who've lived those experiences, people who have wisdom, people who've fought those battles, and God has guided them through their battles and help us guide us through our battles as well. So that's where we're going to land today. God has placed a great ministry opportunity in each of our homes. And I want to ask the, the band to come up so we get ready to worship and we get ready to pray. But maybe you're here and you feel that weight too. That you see that there's this huge responsibility for us to be the primary disciplers of our kids. And you're thinking, this is over my head. This is above my pay grade. This is, this is above what I'm mentally capable of doing. Yes, it is, but it's, it's not above what God can do in you. And it's not above what the church can help you do as we work together in a partnership to not only minister to our kids, but minister to one another. Let's pray together. Father God, you are so good. And we know that you have placed a, a great responsibility in us by blessing us with kids that uh, you've given us this task to teach them, to mold them, to shape them, to disciple them. And Lord, I pray that even though we may feel that heavy weight, I just pray that you just give us a peace and a guidance that will help us to do it and do it well. And I pray that you would be with the whole body of the church, that you would just continue to grow and strengthen us so we can be the type of uh, body that individual families and moms and dads and kids can lean on uh, for wisdom, for guidance, for joy, for, for understanding. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.